This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Defined by grace, 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 community, community, and, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You know, as we think about this song and, and just those words, what it means to know who Jesus is, to know who God is, the ways in which uh, God makes himself known to us. We've been in this series ultimately looking at all the ways that God makes himself known to us. We say, I, I want to know Jesus and I want to know who God is. And Jesus ultimately says, here's how you know who I am. In this Sermon on the Mount, where he begins to give us not an exhaustive list by any means, there's plenty of things that uh, we see elsewhere, but these are the core parts of the ethos of God's kingdom. We want to be close to him. Here's who he is. We want to be like him. Here's what he looks like. You want to see things the way he sees them. Here's how he looks at things. You want your heart to be oriented the way his heart is. Here's where his heart is. So when when we get to a place and, and it's often where people are like, I just want to I just want to I just want to be where Jesus is. I want to be where God is. I want to be close to him. We don't get to define what that looks like. He's defined it for us. We don't get to just well, I just I feel closer to God when I do this. Maybe. But ultimately, he tells you, here's what my heart is. You don't get to make that part up. He's already listed it for us. And so as we want, we walk through and we finish up the Beatitudes and we walk through so many places where Jesus shows what his kingdom looks like. You want to know what God is like? This is the place where we go to see what God is like, what he expects, what he requires, how he calls us into community with him. And in all of that, after he's established what his kingdom looks like, he's established what it means to follow him, what it means to love him, what it means to love others, then Christ lays something on that I think would have blown their minds. He lays something on as he's listed all of these things that are ultimately just impossible to keep perfectly. All of these things that people who are in God's kingdom should be doing regularly. All these things that we know if, if, it's, if we do the checklist thing, we don't hold this so well. Then he says, Matthew 5 verses 17 through 20, he puts it this way. He says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a this is a passage that can be is difficult to understand because there are some good questions, some 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 very understandable questions that we are going to ask here that we should be asking. 
because it's like, wait, what is Jesus really saying here? What is he saying when he says, I've come, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it? What, what does it mean when he talks about uh, what, what it means to have the righteousness or to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees and these religious leaders? What, 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 is, he, what is he really getting at? Now, there, there, I, I want to submit that there are two things I want us to know, two things that this righteousness isn't, and then the one thing I think this righteousness is. Because we can take this text and really go in a dangerous direction, and I think some have. And so we've got to understand uh, a few things here. So here's the first thing I'll say. What this, well, let's just start with this, this idea of righteousness that Jesus is talking about. What is that? Like we've talked a good deal about what it means to be righteous, and we've talked a good deal about what it means to follow God. So when we see this word in different translations pop up and say, uh, if your righteousness doesn't surpass that of this group, you won't go to heaven. Well, immediately the mindset can easily go, okay, well, what things are they doing that I'm not doing? So what does righteousness really mean? Well, let me tell you why I think we start this question wrong. We start this question wrong because the word that's translated here, righteousness, in every other, in most other places, it's the exact same word for justice. As a matter of fact, if you look at some of the ancient Greek workings from Plato and Aristotle, almost every time that word was translated, it was translated justice. Now, it doesn't mean that they use the wrong word. It's just justice and righteousness were always interchangeable. We've turned it into two different things. We've turned it into when we say righteousness, you immediately think about your individual spiritual relationship with God. And it's not less than that, of course. We've, we've talked and we're going to talk more about that. But the reason why this is such a big deal is because typically when you read that, okay, righteousness, my righteousness has to exceed theirs. Okay, immediately my mind's going to go to, well, what are they doing in their spiritual lives that I'm not? What disciplines do they have that I don't? What are they slipping at so that I can do better? Because I think righteousness is exclusively individual. But that word that's translated there is actually righteousness and justice together. They, they should never exist apart from each other. I heard one uh, academic put it this way. Uh, in many ways, if you want to use the words in that, in that way, if you want to use righteousness the way we typically do, righteousness in many ways is what holiness looks like internally and justice is what holiness should look like externally. If we want to use that, now the, the ancient Greeks didn't, it was interchangeable, but since we are working off of English and we have these two different words, it's a great way to think about it. They should exist together concurrently. So many times it's like, well, I'm just, I'm just focused on righteousness right now and that justice stuff has got to sit. Or I'm just about justice right now. All that righteousness stuff, that's just your, on your own. They exist together. So it's easily, you could easily say, unless your justice exceeds that of the Pharisees, you won't enter into heaven because they mean the same thing. Ultimately, that word in the Greek means well-ordered. Something that is a well-ordered world. So when Plato wrote about governments, he used this same word, justice, righteousness, for government. Because government should be well-ordered. It should be ordered in such a way where things are protected properly and life is lived the way it was meant to be lived, both internally and externally. 
So, so here, Jesus is he's putting, he's turning something on its head as he has done already. Because the idea of righteousness, uh, based on what they've seen the Pharisees do, in many ways, they, they think, okay, that, that's it. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing more. How can you exceed? What do I mean by this? Well, the law, if you talk about all the commandments, and Jesus will talk about some of those commandments, most scholars are going to say there's roughly about 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Roughly six, it's more than 10. 613 commandments. A lot of them seem very obscure, and for us, they will be pretty obscure, but all these specific things that you should do, shouldn't do, what kind of linen you should wear, all these different rules that you're like, if I got to keep all of those, there's no hope. Because half the time, I can't even make out what that word means. What is a linen ephod? I don't even wear ephods. No. But, but what you, ch- nobody's going to get that. That's okay. <laughs> when you look at the text, it's easy to go, okay, well, then that, that's a longer checklist. What do I do? Is Jesus saying that that's what I'm supposed to do. Well, and, and so what people will do is go, well, you know what? I'm so thankful that since Jesus fulfilled the law, I am free. And that word free carries a very dangerous meaning, too, because people believe freedom means freedom from the encumbrances of rules and law. Well, Jesus isn't saying that either. So the two things that this righteousness or this type of righteousness isn't, it is not being free from rules. We know that because he says, not until one, now the King James uses the word, not one jot or tittle. That Greek word for jot is the word iota or yoda. For those of you Star Wars fans, it's kind of what informed that word, by the way. But yoda, I-O-T-A, that is one. And when you look at an iota, it's the smallest character, the smallest character in, uh, in, uh, the, in the Greek language. So you would get, like, you could be writing and all of a sudden you get a tiny little kind of dot almost. And that would indicate many times that, or, you know, they, they also use a word called a tittle. It's almost like a, a hook. These are little things you can use that would almost, in our language, if you take a capital P, one little slash makes it a capital R. Might seem just really meaningless. Oh, that's just a tiny little slash here or there, a little slash mark. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Don't think that you're free from law. Not even the most minor thing. The thing you think might be the silliest little thing. Don't think that you're free from law. Don't think that freedom means no rules. We just celebrated, or some just celebrated, uh, the independence uh, of this country. And one of the things I think is interesting, you might not know this, some of the influencers for the founders when they were putting together the Declaration of Independence, you know, the most quoted source by the founders was the Bible. They used in many ways in very kind of Christianized sense, not that many of them were Christians, but in a Christianized sense, here's some good moral things we can take. So the Bible is quoted more than anything else. You know, the second most quoted person is a Frenchman by the name of Montesquieu. And Montesquieu was a part of the Enlightenment. And what he taught often was it's not enough to think freedom. He would say everyone is born in that free state of nature is the way he would put it. Basically, you're born with a degree of, depending on where you are in nature, if there are no rules, you can do what you want. Without rules, you're right. You can absolutely do what you want. But his point is, you're never as free as you could be because if everybody else has the same degree of freedom, then they have the freedom to take what's yours and you can't stop them. So how free are you really? But if there are rules in place, it helps restrain the broken nature of other people who, with their freedom, might do something to you. So so understand, it's not about being free doesn't mean, man, I can't wait. You know, a lot of times kids will do this. They don't like the rules at home. I can't wait until I get out the house. 
all these rules. It's just so much. It's not even necessary till you get out there and realize, can I have some of them rules, please? I've been making decisions on my own, and it hasn't quite worked out the way that I planned. All the teenagers are like, stop talking, stop talking, stop talking. So it's not, the first thing is, it's not a freedom from rules. When Jesus is telling us that he's fulfilled the law, he's not saying, so no, so no, rules no longer necessary, you're just free in Jesus. Because basically what that creates is people are like, listen, I'm free to do me. As long as I'm not hurting anybody, we'll append that to the end because it sounds like we're at least not trying to harm anybody. As long as I'm not hurting anybody, I do me, you do you. Jesus says no. That's, be careful. No, that's not actually true. There are specific rules in place for reasons. And, and ultimately, when we go further in this throughout the next few weeks, Jesus is going to unpack this more. When we start walking through how he, he will say, you've heard it said here, but I say this. You've heard this happens, but if this thing isn't true in your heart, you're still guilty of this. He's trying to move people past the just the kind of outward behavior and getting to a, a genuine heart issue. Finding out what's happening on a heart level. Because that's the thing Jesus cares about. The laws should actually be governing your heart far more than they even govern your behavior. See, if the laws are reflective of where God's heart is, then we don't, it's not even an issue anymore. It's not about make sure that I keep this rule and this rule and this rule, because that way I'll look holy or feel holy or be holy. So the first thing is when he says being righteous and saying that he fulfills the law, he is not saying that this means that there is no law. He's not saying that there are no rules. The other thing he isn't saying, though, is the other direction that we can be, that we can have the tendency to go. And that is some people will say, well, then, OK, that means that righteousness, instead of it being I'm just free from all law, that means now I am a slave to law. I've got all of my rules in place so that I can ensure. Let me explain what I mean, because here's what the scribes and Pharisees would do. God's law would say one thing. Don't do X, Y or Z. And they would say, well, you know what? I'm so I don't even want to get close to it. I don't even want to get anything that might look like that or anything that might get me to that might tempt me to do it. Let's just come to all of the people. We're going to create a big fence around this thing that God said don't do. Make it as big and wide to ensure nobody ever gets close to it. And then we'll hold people accountable for sin if they violate the fence instead of the sin itself. That's, that's actually, you know, if you look at uh, throughout Jewish history, you'll see that there are several places where there have been lots of commentaries written, both the Mishnah and the Talmud. You'll see several places where there are additional laws and rules that were put in place just to make sure they don't get close to the sinful thing. Then hold everybody accountable for keeping all those additional rules and laws, because that's what it meant to be holy. God is what Jesus is saying is, no, no, that's not at all. That's not at all what holiness is either. In other words, there's not freedom from all rules. That's not the righteousness, nor is it be encumbered and enchained and enslaved by a bunch of additional rules in order to keep you on the straight and narrow. Now, y'all, this might sound foreign, but it's really not. Because for many of us, for many of us, again, for you, creating a fence may not be a bad thing. There are some people for whom fences to keep themselves further away from the thing is necessary. So for you, that's something you should do. That's why we talked about this before. This is where the danger comes when we try to push our own disciplines 
on other people. There's a truth about God that is incontrovertible. It is true. There's nothing that changes that. And, and we don't compromise that. That doesn't change. <clears throat> Whoever God is and what he's called us to do, that doesn't change. But how we do, what we do to hold ourselves accountable for that, what we do to make sure that we don't fall into X, Y, or Z trap, those are things that are individually based. That shouldn't be a thing that we go, as a church, we have now determined that all people ought not do X, Y, and Z, because if you do X, Y, and Z, then it might get you into this, 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 and that. And so therefore, if we know that you're doing that, you're in sin. Do you see what you just did? You created this extension. You created these additional, this big fence that's there. And really what you've done is you've, you've created something God never did. So much of our religion focuses around this idea that I, I basically am helping God keep me holy. So I've got these disciplines. And then when people are in a hard time, instead of me trying to get to the heart of the issue and where these struggles are with their sin, I just go, well, you probably should be doing what I'm doing. This is what I do. And this is what helps me. And so if you really cared about your, your struggle, you would do this. And maybe that, that thing, that fence isn't something that works for them. They still want to battle the sin, but that, that thing doesn't work. So you got to be really careful. What Jesus is not saying when he says the law was fulfilled, number one, yes, there's no question that uh, you, you, we are not, he is not saying no more rules anymore. You're free, go out and, and be jolly. But he's also not saying, uh, by the way, done with, uh, uh, th these rules are so important, do everything in your power to follow and hold them to a T to the point where you are completely exhausted. Because this is all, I listened to uh, one person tell this story and he said that, uh, and it, a lot of people, I think this is their story. To some degree, I feel like parts of my story could be this way. When you're young and you're on fire for Jesus. And it's obvious, like, this is normal. This is normal. I think many of us have been this at different times in our life. You're on fire. You, you, you have this guy particularly was in college and he went off to this big kind of college missionary trip. And it was, he just was lit on fire for Jesus. And so he came back to the university and he went to his buddies and he was like, listen, I'm so on fire for Jesus. We got to do something just to be on the straight and narrow. And so, so here's what we're going to do. He created his group, uh, this group that they would meet every Thursday morning at five in the morning. Nothing wrong with that. Meet at five in the morning and get in the word. Okay, that's great. They would pray and then uh, they would con uh, 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 confess sin. And if anybody had struggled with any type of sexual sin, who anybody called throughout the week that everybody would have to get up in the morning at five in the morning and jog around the campus because that's what they're going to do. Right. And again, nothing wrong necessarily. That's what you need to do. But there was a sense in which they were like, we are the ones who are serious about our faith. We are the ones, because look at this fence. You can get so caught up in praising the fence, you stop thinking about Jesus. You can be so caught up in your version of righteousness. Do you realize that in many ways, your version of righteousness becomes all people see? They stop seeing Jesus. They see your disciplines and all the things you're doing. They don't see Jesus. Because they're not seeing what it means to actually be loved well. They're not seeing those other things. They're just seeing like what it means for you, frankly, for us, frankly, to be so self-righteous in our forms of righteousness. This is the danger that we run into. If we start thinking about this in terms of just individual righteousness and not this holistic word that really means justice, then, then, we, then we miss it. So you can't, it's, it's interesting because when you look at the ways in which Jesus, the way that he turns this on his head, you got to remember that what the 
what was what was required of the law? You know, a lot of times we talk, there's been a lot of talk lately, a very famous pastor talking about tithing and people have been kind of engaging. We've had good teachings on that as well, just talking through what is the law, what is not. But what's interesting is if you really were to get into what tithing was in the Old Testament, the Pharisees knew this because they actually didn't just tithe on their income. They tithed on everything to the point where they tithed on their spice racks. Can you imagine giving 10% of your lemon pepper and your paprika? They were doing it off everything, right? The amount of money that you gave, if you really tithe according to the law, ends up being almost 40% of your income, right? But again, when we, when we, overly, uh, we overly simplify things because we want to feel righteous, then we create a thing as opposed to getting into the heart of the thing, right? What is the heart behind giving? We'll talk about this down the road, but what is the heart behind it? Being anonymous, being generous, what it means so that we actually feel it, what it means for it to be regular and planned, all those things, right? are things that we see later in the text about where your heart should be. But again, nothing wrong if you create the fence. Just ensure that you're not holding the fence to the same level as you hold holiness. The fence might be for you. And if to the degree that the fence helps you on a heart level, hold the very heart of God and adhere to the heart of God. Amen. But don't praise the fence. Don't worship the fence. Don't be more known for how much you talk about the fence than you talk about Jesus. This is what Jesus is getting at because this is where the Pharisees were. They did all of that, did all the tithing and did all the things and kept all the commandments, at least ostensibly and in front of everybody. All those things were being kept and all the 613 commandments. And they had all of their fences. And here's what they would do. They would go inspecting everybody else, not just for whether or not you committed this sin. How close to that fence are you? Do you have a fence? I love that, the, you know, the old songwriters I grew up around just said, Jesus be the fence. Jesus be a fence all around me. We don't do good at making our own fences. We don't, because either we make a fence and then we create all the exceptions for all. We can bypass the fence or we just make a fence that's so weak or we create a fence that we get exhausted trying to adhere to because it's just impossible to do so. So we've got to be so careful about making sure we don't think about this, this passage as, a, as Jesus either going, make sure that you kind of white knuckle it and hold on to all these rules to the, to the extent that you are so exhausted or be free and have no rules. He's not saying either of those. But what he is saying, what this justice slash righteousness actually is, we see again, let's look at verse 17 again. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. I didn't come to abolish, but I came to fulfill. What does it mean for Jesus to have fulfilled the law for us? That's really the question. Because if we know that it doesn't mean no more law, okay, well then there's some degree that, that, we, that, that we, there's a responsibility on our part, but at the same time, he's fulfilled it. So what does that mean? What does that word fulfill mean? That word fulfill means to fill up to the point of true satisfaction. Everything has happened perfectly. Everything is fulfilled perfectly, filled up perfectly. A good picture of this is uh, the, the old uh, Disney movie, Cinderella. I know I didn't want to use Disney either, baby, but that's all right. It's okay. Because, you know, aside from the fact that Cinderella, the, the tropes were always like the best way for you to be able to find your happiness to be beautiful enough to be discovered. But that's a whole other thing. But in the midst of all of that, I hope I didn't offend anybody, but that's just Disney for y'all. When when this woman now has to go and 
and figure out, or the, the prince has this glass slipper and has to figure out who fits the slipper. So he's just going from house to house, waiting for the right foot to fill the slipper perfectly. Not too big, not too small, gotta fit that slipper perfectly. And when that slipper fits perfectly, his search has been fulfilled. What that word literally means is that, what it means to be filled up perfectly. So Jesus is saying, all the things that were required from the law, it's not abolished. I have fulfilled it for you. In other words, you were never going to be able to fulfill it. This is why your little fences are scary, because you're telling yourself you can fulfill it yourself when you can't. Now, that's the reason why it gets dangerous, because people think, well, I can't fulfill it, so I'm just going to live in Jesus and live in his grace and just do what I want. No, this is the difference between effort and earning. You do not earn your righteousness or this justice with God. So your fences don't earn you anything. However, when you realize that you have been truly bought with a price by Jesus, when you realize that he, you realize that all of this stuff that Jesus is talking about right now, him fulfilling the law for you, he said this before he'd even died and resurrected yet. That means Jesus didn't just die for you. He lived for you. His life fulfilled so much of the law on your behalf. Why do we need to make the difference between the earning and the effort? Because if you function in such a way where you think your righteousness is predicated upon how well your fences work for you, your disciplines work for you, then you are functioning in a way where you think you're earning your righteousness and that justice from God. You're going to function that way. I remember uh, my dad was a big radio and television personality in Detroit and kind of the gospel music world. And every time there was a concert that would come into Detroit, he would be emceeing it. And some of the artists are people he had worked with or written for. So, so often some of these big major artists that we all know would come, they, half of them came from Detroit, but they would come back and they would do a concert. We'd be backstage. We're sitting in the VIP section or whatever. And I remember one time there was a big thing in Detroit called the Gospel Fest, and they do it every year, and all the big gospel artists would come, and it's outside in the summer, and it's great. And I remember uh, anytime I was going with my dad, like there were certain ex expectations. I had to make sure that we dressed appropriately, and we would dress up, and, we, and then we would be sitting in this VIP section. I remember one year I was sitting next to Rosa Parks because she lived in Detroit, and she was there, and I'm sitting next to Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks. I'm just sitting there scared. I don't want to say a word. Because she's still that, like, black grandmother. Like, I'm not going to say nothing dumb. I will get smacked. So I'm sitting there, and, I, and I'm just next to her, and I'm just like, wow. And I remember, like, telling one of my friends, and it's crazy because they're like, whoa, like, how did you get to do that? Like, I'm there, and I'm dressed up. I'm dressed apart, and I'm doing all these things. But at the end of the day, my dressing up isn't what let me sit next to Rosa Parks. The things I did to conform with whatever was expected of me, being there as a special guest of my father, was not what allowed me to be next to this incredible civil rights icon. The reasons why we could go backstage to these different events weren't because of all the different Technicolor suits I used to wear in the 90s. Teal was my thing, y'all. It wasn't because of that. It wasn't because I dressed the part that got me in. It was, it, it was because of the credentials of my father that I got in. It's the credentials of my father 
that that actually allowed me to, quote unquote, earn my way. My earning was not anything I did. My earning was in what my father had already done. So now when I'm dressing up or I'm acting the part, people would always be like, oh, the kids, you guys are so well-mannered and all that's great. But we were getting it even if we were bad. But why did why would we do that? Because it's not about earning. It's about effort. When I know that I am here, not because I've earned it, but somebody has done it for me, I don't go, oh, man, i got to be holy now. No, that's the effort put forth out of complete gratitude, out of being overwhelmed by the kind of grace and mercy that's been shown for me on my behalf. So now I don't have to go in and be like, man, you realize the amount of pressure that's off of you when you're able to think like, man, you function differently when you think you're earning something by what you're doing. You function differently. Internally, you function differently. The way you think, you're thinking differently. How you feel, you feel differently. The way you grieve, you even grieve differently. If you think that these things are based on how much you're earning a thing, and I think that people would never say they're earning, but so much of our faith functions in such a way that we almost do act like we're earning something from God. And then when it's our time to be able to help console or consult other people, to give counsel to other people, all we do is give more earning directions. Hey, here's some things you can do, and hopefully that'll earn some favor from God. Hopefully that'll earn this or that. That will please God enough that these things will happen. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. And until we start to understand what that truly means and what it means to be filled with Jesus, to be filled with his righteousness, we'll never get that. So when you look at how, when he says, when he says that I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. Ultimately, he's saying, until you realize that that justice slash righteousness piece is not rooted necessarily in you earning that. See, because they never, they couldn't do anything other than that. They functioned in such a way that said, it's our earning that's going to get us here. Until the way that you think about who Jesus is. Until, the, until you start to change what you think makes you holy, just, or righteous. Until that changes, there's no way that that righteousness would ever exceed that of the Pharisees. And it's not because of, again, because of uh, these check marks that weren't hit. It's a heart posture that does the changing. When your heart is like, I, again, I am not doing this as if I'm earning something because my pride is so great. If I think I'm earning, my pride is going to be really, and I might even, I might not even know that I'm being prideful, but other people are going to receive it as pride for sure. But when we get to a place where we're like, I am so overwhelmed by God's grace, by his mercy, by his justice, by his righteousness, I'm so overwhelmed by that. I'm overwhelmed by the truth that I didn't earn it. I'm so overwhelmed by the truth that I didn't do anything to merit this. Now I can't respond with anything else but grace, mercy. When, when This is the reason why when people ask Jesus, this is why they tried to trip him up, because they knew, Pharisees knew, it's 613 commandments. Which one is he going to name? Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? We quote it here all the time. Why? Because it's the greatest commandment. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? One of 613. They can trip him up on any one of them. It's like, well, you know what the greatest commandment is. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, strength, and mind. Heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what he's really saying? He's saying to show the same type of exhaustive, 
care and energy and urgency loving others as you show the same care, desire and urgency for yourself. If you do that, you actually keep the law. Now that sounds, wait a minute, that's, that's a lot less than 613, Jesus. But you see, when you look back at several of the laws, several of the laws were more focused on, we need to be able to focus on what was the heart behind the law? What was the heart behind these things? Even the things that seem so outlandish there, given the timing that they were in and whatever the context were at that time, there were issues of safety, issues of, of health, issues of keeping people safe from each other, helping people be safe from aspects of nature. And so ultimately, what Jesus is really saying is, you you are keeping the law when you are just rooted in me. If you're rooted in me and you're, because later, what does he say? A new commandment I give you. Love your neighbor as I have loved you. There's nobody that's shown more urgency over you than Jesus. There's no one that's shown more of a deep heart uh, wrenching over you than Jesus. So much so that he cried blood, sweat blood over you. There's nobody that's going to give the same type of sacrifice like Jesus, so much so that he died for you. There's nobody that's going to demonstrate the kind of power over you like Jesus, so much so that he conquered death, hell, and the grave for you. So if you're overwhelmed by that kind of justice from Jesus, then you have no other choice. You are overwhelmed by that justice to the extent that you're like, I want to extend this type of justice and righteousness, which means what it means to love God well, I want to have his heart in every aspect of my life. My thought life, my behavioral life, my sex life, my work life, the way that I am as a citizen, how I care about my neighbor, all of those things I keep. Not because I'm like, because otherwise I'm going to feel really guilty and be a horrible demoniac, but more so because for me not to do these things on some level would mean there's something about Jesus that I'm just not overwhelmed enough by. So when Jesus says this, he realizes that these scribes, the Pharisees, a lot of them don't get it because they've been living in a world of earning. When Jesus is saying that really all I'm calling you to do is show the kind of effort that is just empowered by the very love and grace that I've already shown you. So ultimately, even that isn't about you. When we get to that place, when we get to that place, and this is something that is a constant thing for all of us, but we need to regularly be in these rhythms of, Lord, what does it really mean for me to rest in you fulfilling the law perfectly for me? That means that I don't live under a, a horrible place of shame, but I also don't live under, a, under this kind of freewheeling license either. I live in a place that goes, I want to be able to serve you. And any time that I fall, I move to a place of repentance, not to a place of dejection, because even in my repentance, I realize you've already fulfilled everything for me. So when I fall short, you fill that up too. This is what it means, y'all. When, when, when this passage so often just gets skipped because it's so hard to be able to do, but I'm telling you, as we go over the next few weeks, you're going to see even more so how Jesus starts to break down. Hey, here's the, here's the law thing that you know. Here's one of the 613. Now, here's the heart behind it. You know what Jesus is always trying to get? I'll close with this. This is what Jesus is always trying to get us, get us to understand. You should never be in the position where you love the command more than the commander. You should never be in the position where you love the law more than the lawgiver. Because ultimately what happens is the law itself will become a God unto you. 
And there is no possible way to love people well and love God well when you love his law more than you love him. So may we be a people that's rooted in God's justice and God's righteousness. When we think about the reason why justice and righteousness connect that way is because ultimately, if you have God's heart, then you care about internally what holiness looks like and you care externally about what holiness looks like. You cannot uh, uh, look at one or hold one at the expense of the other. You have to care about what happens to others and you have to care about what's happening to you internally. Both of those things are true. And if we don't understand all the things that Jesus did to empower us and give us the effort to battle well, to live well, to have faith and repentance in that two-step dance well, if we don't understand that, then we don't have the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we genuinely want your righteousness and your justice. And so often we separate the two and God, we see you don't, you don't. God, when I think about how easy it is for us to bifurcate the two and make one thing so important and the other not, God, we're missing so much. And frankly, God, we're, 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 we're attempting to earn. God, will you show us the places where we're earning more so than we're just showing the effort that's rooted in who you are to us? God, I pray that we would not be trusting in our, in our effort in that that gives us some degree of holiness or righteousness or justice. God, I pray that in every aspect of our life, you are so much of the unavoidable issue that we cannot do anything else but react and respond with a heart of thankfulness, grace, mercy, holiness, righteousness, justice all of those things that make up who you are. God, I pray that we would be a people that is a just and righteous people, not because of how clever we are, how smart we are, how, how many good words and turns of phrases we have. God, may we be a people that is, we're just so overwhelmed by you. Your glory is so great. We just sang about your glory. Your glory is so bright. It shines over us in such a way that all we can do is reflect that outward. So God, help us do that. In all the areas where we have made our fences of God, Lord, kick down those fences. All the ways in which we need healthy boundaries to, 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 to create holy disciplines, God, give us those. Lord, I pray that we love you as commander of our souls more than the commands themselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.